Coker, Horton, and Bell and the Mississippi Healthcare Alliance for underwriting MPB programs. Your company can be an underwriter too. Find out more. Go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting to find out how. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, March 13th. I'm Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, could new eviction rules passed by the legislature leave low-income Mississippians out in the cold? We'll hear from both sides. Then Dr. Jimmy has a Southern Remedy Health Minute all about controlling your asset reflux. And hear the story of a Mississippi man finding life through dialysis for more than 20 years. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A bill designed to speed up the time it takes for Mississippi landlords to evict a tenant is headed to the governor's desk. House lawmakers passed the Landlord Tenant Act yesterday. The bill originated in the Senate. It requires tenants who don't pay their rent to move out of the premises as soon as a judge issues an eviction order. House Republican Brent Powell of Brandon. What we did today was we took, there was a portion of the, of the uh, current law that allows a judge to extend the time a person could stay in the, in the premises for up to 30 days. And so we took that away, allowing the landlord to take immediate possession of the property upon non-payment of rent and a judgment from that judge. Why do that? You said they have up to 30 days, but now it'll be immediate instead? They potentially have that. And the main reason is the way, that the, way the laws are now, if you're late for your rent, you get a three-day notice from your landowner or your landlord, okay? Now, after that three days have passed, that gives you a three-day notice to pay the rent. After that three days has passed, then the, the landowner goes to court to get a court date to, to have the eviction happen. So that can take up to 30 days for even a court date. Now, once you get the, the, the court date and you get the judgment, at that point, you're probably 45 days past rent. If you hadn't made rent by then, you're probably not going to make it. And this just speeds up the process to where the landowner can get his premises back with, and, and start making money without it being torn up by somebody who might be mad. They just got evicted. So I want to make sure I understand this. So now when, say, you're the landowner, the property owner, and you go into court and you ask for an eviction, if you get that uh, removal request, then they have to be out immediately? Now, they can petition the judge for a stay of up to three days if, if they're showing if they're showing hardship. They also can pay the rent, the past due no, uh, amounts, and the, uh, the court fees on that date, and then they get to stay also. So this just, this just kind of puts the, the owners back on the tenant to either pay the, pay the rent or leave the premises. There was um, some concern about this, that some people, especially uh, low-income folks, in this situation, they would automatically be put out of their homes. That, that's potentially you know, part of the issue, but you also have landowners who have a note with, or a mortgage with that, and if, the, if they're using the rent to pay that mortgage, they're not paying that, so that the bank could effectively take that from them. This just kind of levels the playing field on it. If you can't pay the rent, you know, I feel for people, but th- this is a business operation for most of these owners, so they, you know, th- they need their rent to take care of the, their premises. So. Now, one thing Representative Hines, I believe, brought up, he asked where the bill came from because it's a Senate bill. Um, where did the bill come from? I don't know. It was just it was, I was just asked to present it through Judd A., and I, I haven't spoke with anybody on the Senate side about it. I do have property, so, I mean, I understand the need for it. So it, it wasn't my bill. I'm not sure whose it was. So. 
So from your perspective as a landlord, do you feel like you've gotten soaked over and over again and this is something that needs to happen to protect you? I have not really gotten soaked personally. Personally, I have some tenants that have not paid for a couple of months. I get with them, we work out a plan, and we move on. And most of your landlords, I would venture to guess, do the same thing. The last thing you want is a vacant house. It's just sitting there. You're not making any money. But the, but the really last thing you want is a deadbeat tenant who refuses to pay, and you're going back and forth to the courts. And then, and then the 30 days, they give you a little bit. Well, the court says, all right, they've given you some. You've accepted it. Therefore, they can stay. And this corrects that problem. And that was what was happening? Correct. What happens to the bill now? Uh, this bill will go to the governor. We made no changes to it. It was a Senate bill, so it will go to the governor for signature. All right. Well, thank you so much, Representative, for speaking with us. No problem. Thank you all. Representative Brent Powell. House Democrat David Barry of Bay St. Louis says he's a landlord, too. He says he understands the need for a timely eviction process, but he has problems with this bill. Well, because even though I'm a landlord, I recognize that it's draconian to require folks to uh, exit the premises the moment that a judgment of eviction is rendered against them. They, they may have defenses to uh, you know, the reason why they haven't paid the rent, the reason why they're holding over, and the bill uh, as passed would require them the moment that uh, a judgment of eviction is entered, they have to be out. There's no time. Uh, now, the court does have discretion to stay. Um, they're leaving the premises, but not every judge is going to exercise that discretion. And, and there's also a problem with the interpretation of the language that we pointed out, but they didn't want to listen to us on that. And my reading of the language is that actually before the judgment of eviction is entered, when the request is made that the person be evicted, that's when they have to leave. So there's a technical problem with the language, I believe. It's open to interpretation, and that's the other reason why we have problems with it. Does the judge have any discretion, or how much discretion does he have? Well, under the language of the new bill, the judge has discretion to grant a stay, uh, and that stay, I think, could last for 10 days. Uh, Currently, the situation we have is that uh, a person can, at any time, catch up on their rent, and as long as they're in compliance with the other terms of the lease, then they can stay because they've caught up on their rent and they haven't broken the other terms of the lease. This bill wouldn't allow that uh, unless they pay the rent before the request for the warrant or the request for the eviction uh, is requested, then if they're not paid up, they're gone, Uh, and arguably even before the judgment of eviction is entered, but certainly as of the moment the judgment is entered. So there's no leeway. And that's what we were trying to do on the floor is add a three-day period to allow folks to get their belongings together and get out. How serious do you think this is? Well, it's only serious if you're a person who struggles to make ends meet and, you know, you lose a job or you have an illness in your family and for whatever reason you're unable to pay rent and you get behind and you have to go through one of these eviction processes. And then you find yourself, uh, you know, on the, the, the date that the judge puts the gavel down and says you've got to get out, you, you've got to get out at that moment, at that second, arguably. So there's not even a two-hour, four-hour, one-day, three-day period. You've got to get out right away. So you'd have to leave the courtroom, and arguably they could be taking your, the landlord could be taking your stuff out of that premises before you get back there because it's at the moment the judgment is entered, according to them. We think it's, it, the language would allow for a taking uh, and, you know, putting you out of the premises at the moment the request is made. Now, understand, people need to hear this. The request is first made. It's like filing a complaint. I allege that you did this. That's the request. The judgment is later. 
So the language of the bill, it's inartfully drafted, could be interpreted to say at when the request is made, that's when they got to get out of the property. They're saying that it's only when the judgment is entered, and that makes sense. But, you know, folks interpret language differently all the time. And you offered an amendment. What would that have done? Well, my amendment would have provided a three-day period from the entry of judgment until the time the person has to be completely, uh, has to vacate the premises completely. So it gives them three days to get their stuff together, pull their family pictures off the wall, collect the, you know, the baby toys, pack them up, go find another place to put them, and get out of the house. And I think that's reasonable. Representative Powell said that this is aimed at folks who don't pay their rent, who pretty much take advantage and they'll pay some. You never, They never really get caught up. It's always, you're always trying to get what you're owed. Well, that's what eviction is for, people who don't pay rent or otherwise breach the terms of the lease. So that this bill doesn't change any of that. Eviction is for people who need to be evicted. We all understand that. I'm a landlord. I understand that. But what we ought to be about doing is once we get to that point where the judge says, you have to leave the premises, give people enough time to get their stuff together and get out. I mean, that three-day period is not onerous. It's reasonable. And put yourself in the shoes of the person who's just been ordered to leave their home. You need a little bit of time to do that. Representative David Beria. Coming up, hear the story of a Mississippi man finding life through dialysis for more than 20 years. That's after a Southern Remedy Health Minute. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. To DIY or not to DIY? That is always the question when it comes to routine maintenance and home improvement projects. On Fixing 101, we want to give you the tips and the tools so you know when you have a weekend project on your hands or when it's time to call a professional. On the next Fix It 101, we're going to be talking all about replacing windows and we're going to have the Fix It 101 tip of the day. So join us for the next Fix It 101 coming up next at 9, only on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of pediatrics and internal medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Morning, Jane from Madison. I recently had an upper GI, and the doctor told me that my stomach was red. She gave me some a six-month supply of pills for GERD. She also stretched my esophagus. So oh, the the redness in the lining of the stomach, that's just irritation. If you think about it like your skin, and you took some sandpaper to your skin and made it raw, that's the same type of thing. So your stomach, it produces acid to help break down those food particles and try to get, get the digestive process uh, going. Uh, and sometimes the lining, the protective lining of the stomach that protects those cells can break down to the point where that acid starts to erode through the actual lining. What your GI doctor is trying to do is to decrease that inflammation with that medication, which is, is cutting down the acid level. And the stretching part is for the esophagus. So if you get a lot of that acid that comes back up into the esophagus, that's the reflux part of that. If you have that enough, then it can actually 
uh, irritate those cells, and those cells can change over time to increase your risk for esophageal cancer. So that's probably why they did that little balloon procedure where they stretch that. It's not stretching it like you would stretch a piece of rubber, like pulling it across a room. It's really stretching, putting that balloon down in the middle of that tube of the lower part of the esophagus and stretching it outward. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. The story of Mississippi's own Marty Stewart is one of the many tales that can be found in Ken Burns' newest documentary, Country Music. Before its premiere later this year, you are invited to a special preview screening in Philadelphia with Marty himself. Join us at the Ellis Theater on March 28th for this special preview screening ahead of the premiere of Country Music on MPB-TV. For more information about the preview screening, visit Ardenland.net. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Information on how to make good health a family affair is available at bcbsms.com. Live healthy, live blue. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Mississippi ranks first in the nation for the number of individuals dying from kidney disease, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And the Mississippi Kidney Foundation says more than 6,000 Mississippians are on dialysis. That includes Alex Owens, who was diagnosed with kidney problems as an 11-year-old child. Even with a transplant, he has been on dialysis more than 20 years. He shares his story with MPB's Jasmine Ellis. You got good days, bad days, but... You just, you, you got to keep going. I tell people all the time, uh, for me, dialysis is a part of my life, but it's not my life. I refuse to let dialysis define me. It's something that I got to do to, to keep going. I do it, but I still, I still live a normal, active life. So when you first found out that you had kidney disease, can you walk me through that moment? How did you feel at that moment? I first found out I had kidney disease. I was 11 years old. At that time, I really didn't know what was going on. Uh, I started gaining uh, uh, a massive amount of weight, but it was all fluid, water retained. I mean, you could put your hand, you could squeeze my leg, and it was leaving uh, a dent of where you had squeezed. So I started, uh, they put me on medicine, uh, real medicine, and kind of ran into remission. When I was 18, I can remember the day, I was, uh, it was the day after Martin Luther King Day. It was, I think it was on a Sunday. I went to, a, uh, that Monday, I went to, the following Monday, I went to the doctor. And he told me I was going to have to start dialysis. And my first day of dialysis was my actual, was my 19th birthday. That was my first day of dialysis. If you don't mind me asking, how old are you now? I'm 46. I, my birthday was just yesterday. Happy belated birthday. Thank you. So you mentioned that you are able to do things and travel, even with being on dialysis. Can you talk to me a little bit about what you like to do? Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm able to, uh, I'm not able to travel like I, I, I want to, but yes, at times, you know, if I, if I can find out and let dialysis know, you know, that I would like to, I'm planning on going somewhere, I do occasionally go places. 
What I do now is part of uh, the Masonic organization. We do some charity work. And I love spending time with my nephews. That's what I love to do. I, just, I, I, I love spending time with my nephews and helping people if I can. How has your family supported you throughout your journey with having kidney disease and then having your transplant to now being on dialysis? My family has been a, a, a big support. My mother, who was, uh, she passed in, in 2011. That was my biggest supporter. And I think the reason I have the attitude today because her her thing was when she uh, when I found out that I had had went into full renal disease, yeah, I mean she sat me down, she looked at me, and she told me, "I need you to cry, I need you to be angry, but then I need you to get over there and do what you need to do to take care of yourself." And that's been my attitude ever then. It, 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 no one can tell you you're not going to have bad days, but and you're not going to cry. But you can't have, your pity party can only last for so long. And then you need to do what you need to do to take care of yourself. Because nobody else can do it for you. And I have a good support system. Um, my brother, my sisters, you know, my friends around here. I have a friend, my best friend around here. So I, I have people that I, can, uh, that I can count on and understand my journey. Believe it or not, a lot of people don't know I'm on dialysis. And is there, and, and when they find out, they're like, you on dialysis? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, you don't, you look so good. You did. And I'm like, yeah, because it's not something I'm just going to go around broadcasting, but you know, I'm on dialysis. Alex Owens, thank you so much for sharing your personal story with us. Well, thank you for taking the time to, to listen. Bonnie Coleman is with the Mississippi Kidney Foundation. She's also a retired nurse who spent a career working with dialysis patients. She tells our Jasmine Ellis more about the impact of kidney disease in Mississippi. The number one and number two cause of kidney disease are high blood pressure and diabetes. And let me stress that that is undiagnosed and untreated high blood pressure and high di- and diabetes. If they're treated, they will not affect the kidneys. Because hypertension, high blood pressure, and diabetes are the the number one and number two cause of kidney disease, we have more population in our state that are affected by high blood pressure and diabetes. And a lot of that is diet, um, our lack of exercise, the same things that other states, you know, have the same problems and all. But we we seem to have more in Mississippi. What are you seeing in terms of kidney disease in Mississippi? Is it increasing? Can you talk to me about that? Yes, it is definitely increasing. It's it's increasing nationwide. Um, by the year 2020, 2020, they're anticipating a million individuals being on dialysis in the United States. And that has grown. I can't tell you number-wise, but that's grown a lot in just the last 10 years. Kidney disease is a silent killer, and people don't know that they have kidney disease until it's too late. You mentioned the importance of diet earlier. What are some other things in addition to making sure you have a healthy diet that people can do to make sure their kidneys are healthy? That's a question that we're asked a lot. And the, the the deal with kidney disease is it's not obvious things that damage your kidneys. 
I mean, we know that hypertension and diabetes does. Untreated hypertension and untreated diabetes. But kidney failure can be caused from a lot of things. Dehydration damages the kidneys. Over-the-counter medications can damage the kidneys. So you have to educate yourself. You know, Advil is a, uh, ibuprofen is a great drug, and it's a lot of uh, people's drug of choice because it's not prescription, it's over-the-counter, it's supposed to be safe, and those are the kind of things that can hurt your kidneys. So you have to do education. You have to ask questions. You have to, if, if you've been told that you have kidney disease, Get all the information on it that you can, whether it's through your doctor, through the Internet, through reading or whatever, but you have to know what's going on. There are five stages of kidney disease. When you get to stage four, you're going to be seeking help, but that could take a long time. And the symptoms that you that a patient may be having, and the reason that we call it silent or it's deceptive or whatever, is because you can chalk these um, symptoms up to other illnesses, virus, a cold, bone disease, or I mean bone pain. Um, all of those are indicative of kidney disease. But you would never know that. Your bones hurt. You think that's because maybe your vitamin D level is low. It could be kidney disease. Um, You are lethargic. Your kidneys are responsible for building red blood cells in your body. If your kidneys are not working, your red blood cell count falls and you become very lethargic. So those kind of things, people think that they're related to other diseases. And then when they they start really getting sick because they can't remove the waste products, their kidneys aren't, you know, allowing that to happen. They're not manufacturing red blood cells. Their bones are getting brittle and things like that. And those are the kind of symptoms that people will end up with. And then they don't go away. And they start looking for help from doctors, emergency rooms or whatever. And they go in and say, I've had a virus for six months I can't get rid of. And the only way that we really know what's going on is to do labs. What is the solution to making sure that kidney disease does not continue increasing in Mississippi? Education. Education, get the word out, screen. If you see on TV, Internet, handouts that there is a kidney free kidney screening somewhere in your community, you find out where it is and take advantage of it. We can give you results that you can take to your doctor and start that process rolling. Bonnie Coleman is with the Mississippi Kidney Foundation. Bonnie, thank you so much for speaking with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for supporting the Mississippi Kidney Foundation and helping us to get the word out about kidney disease. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9, it's Fix It 101. Then at 10, it's Everyday Tech. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online by visiting mpbonline.org. You can also download the MPB public media app from the Apple or Google Play stores, or you can subscribe to Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app. I'm Desiree Frazier. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio.
Whether traveling through Oxford or Tupelo, stuck in traffic in Jackson or Meridian, or cruising along the coast in Biloxi or Ocean Springs, MPB goes with listeners wherever they go. Your company's message can go along too. Go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting to find out how. To DIY or not to DIY? That is always the question when it comes to routine maintenance and home improvement projects. On Fixing 101, we want to give you the tips and the tools so you know when you have a weekend project on your hands or when it's time to call a professional. On the next Fix It 101, we're going to be talking all about replacing windows and we're going to have the Fix It 101 tip of the day. So join us for the next Fix It 101 coming up next at 9, only on MPB Think Radio. Oculus was supposed to bring virtual reality to everyone by now. What happened? From American Public Media, this is Marketplace Tech, demystifying the digital economy. I'm Molly Wood. Marketplace Tech is supported by HomeAdvisor, matching homeowners with home improvement professionals for a variety of home projects, from repairs to remodels. Homeowners can read reviews and book appointments online at HomeAdvisor.com. 